Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. Well, all right. Welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining. Glad you are here. Happy you are listening. Often you guys have heard me talk about on this program that liberty and the principles that I try to discuss here on this program are not about Republican versus Democrat or Democrat good, Republican bad, Republican bad, Democrat good. This is a dichotomy, in my opinion, that exists to keep us confused and not really focused on the things that matter. And so today I want to I found a, a guy on the internet. I want to I want to introduce you to some of these subjects and maybe you can go on here and listen to the whole thing yourself. I just took some clips from some of the key areas around housing and schools and taxes. But there's there's kind of two points I want to make from from this uh and one is that you, your values have to be aligned with what it is you're trying to do politically. And sometimes people's values are not aligned. And, and, and it has to do with the fact that people get twisted up and because they're not, their values aren't based on any principles, they're based, they're based on, well, I feel like this, or I feel that way, or this way, or... I feel bad for the poor, or I do this, or I do that. And so their their values are not entirely aligned with what they believe. So that's, that's one point I want to make in this uh, episode today. The other point I want to try to make by playing some of these clips and commenting on them is that um, you just don't get what you want by voting. Voting is not a solution uh, for getting what you want. Uh, this is this is the big fallacy um, that exists in our body politic and our um, our our way of doing government. And so, I'm not here to talk about a solution so much as I'm here to, to just try to convince you that you know voting doesn't really work. You don't get what you want by voting, and there's a lot of reasons for that. It it mostly has to do with uh, what we call rent seeking or just uh, political interest aligned against uh, what you're trying to accomplish. So <clears throat> without further ado, I want to I want to play an intro to this. This guy talks about a map and essentially he's talking about the 18 states that have solid democratic uh, government, uh, both in the legislature and the executive branches, uh, meaning the governor's mansion. And um, just all throughout the uh, the society, it's sol- solidly. These are blue, what we call blue states. These are solidly in the Democratic camp. And he's going to use these states to make a couple of points. There is a question I've had for a very long time, and it has to do with this map. 
This is a map of the 18 states in the U.S. where Democrats control the legislative and executive branches or else have some veto-proof majority in the legislature. Democrats in D.C. often blame the GOP for foiling their progressive vision. When middle-class families see their taxes go up, they'll know Republicans are to blame. But if you zoom into these 18 states, there's effectively no Republicans standing in the way. So my question is, what do Democrats actually do when they have all the power? To answer this question, I teamed up with the Times editorial board writer, Binya Applebaum. So you can kind of get a sense of what we're talking about here. Now, the very short answer to his question, what do, do Democrats do when they have all the power? The very short answer to that is they make themselves rich. They align um, uh, with, with uh, corporations, with constituencies that help keep them in power. Uh, and they, they don't do too much. They kind of work around the edges and don't do too much to upset the apple cart. That's essentially what they do. I think, you know, Americans tend to view politics as a competition of us versus them. And, and they tend to think that if they would just get out of the way, then we can do the things that we want to do. There is no them standing in the way. There's just the we of Democrats and their supporters, and they get to decide what policy should look like in those states. And that is an opportunity for them to implement their vision. For this story, I also delved into this giant document. It is the 2020 Democratic Party platform. If you wanna really understand what Democrats say they want, what their vision is for America, it's found inside of this document. This document serves as a guide. So he's talking about how there's there's really no us versus them in, in these states. It's, it's really just the Democrats, their constituencies, the voters, and they're deciding how they want things to be. And, and many times they're not happy, but that's nobody's fault but their own. And we're going to look at a couple of examples here. We're going to look at um, taxation. We're going to look at housing. And uh, we're going to look at schools. And these, all three of these are big hot button issues for the Democrats. So uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how these examples play out. As we zoom into these states to answer this question, what do Democrats really do when they have all the power? Okay, so let's start with California. To me, California is like the quintessential liberal state. From the state legislature to the whole executive branch to most of the big cities, Dems hold majority control. So what do they do with all this power? You cannot say that you are against inequality in America unless you are willing to have affordable housing built in your neighborhood. Housing in America should be stable, accessible, safe, healthy, energy efficient, and above all, affordable. Housing is a human right. Housing is a human right. The rent is going through the roof. Housing is a human right. There are a couple familiar themes in this, um, in this little montage here that we just played. And one of them is equality. You hear Democrats all the time harping on equality. And you hear them harping on housing. And um, affordable housing, housing is a right. These are, these are uh, of course, it's not a right, but this is what Democrats say. And um, the interesting thing is they don't live their values. And we use, they use this example in California. It's in, it's in Palo Alto, California. And we're going to dig into some of the details in just a second. But it's just interesting that um, 
Democrats really believe these things. They, they say they believe these things. But the reality is, when it, when it comes right down to it, they're self-interested, just like the Republicans are, just like any American is, uh, all, just like any human being is, for that matter. So we're all self-interested. We all do what's in our own interest. And there is no uh, altruistic impulse <laughs> in, in society. It just doesn't exist. And so to sit around and talk about it, uh, I think is a waste of time. It, 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 it confuses people. Uh, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't produce results. And we're going to see that here with this Palo Alto example. Because in California, the cost of housing is so high that for many people, it's simply unaffordable. The, the state has simply, for the most part, stopped building housing. I mean, there are cranes, there's housing going up, but it has slowed down over time really, really sharply. And it is nowhere near sufficient to keep pace with California's population. And so what you have is, is not enough housing and too many people trying to get it. And the inevitable result is that prices have gone up, up and away. The median price of a home in San Diego County is now a staggering $830,000. Now, how do you ever pay off an $830,000 house? I mean, a lot of times, too, when, when Democrats talk about affordable housing, they also talk about access to loans. And to me, if you, if you just have a, if, if, if the house, if the underlying value of the asset just goes up, 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 up and away, and all they do is make loans easier for you to get, well, they really haven't done anything for you because that $830,000 house, by the time you finish paying it off, is going to cost you two, almost two and a half million dollars. So, I mean, I, you know, you're, that's your whole retirement right there. And so I guess when you do retire, you sell your house. Hopefully the prices are still going up and then you can move to someplace like Texas where you can get some decent value uh, for a home. All around California, there are cities full of people who say that they are progressive. They're liberals. They believe in a more equal America, a more diverse America. They show up to the marches. They put in the lawn signs about everyone being equal. No, it turns out that this is actually the result of specific policies, intentional policies that keeps these neighborhoods spread out and full of single family homes, as opposed to higher density buildings like duplexes or apartment complexes. This is a real serious fight and you can get a glimpse into it by looking at a zoning map. You know, traditionally, if you wanted a single family home, you move out into the suburbs, right? Um, uh, these cities though, some cities have managed to keep even single family housing in the city, in the city proper, and, um, and have done such a good job that they've managed to not kind of have the downtown area, you know, that some cities have like Chicago or something. Um, and, and have managed to keep, um, single family homes all, you know, kind of in and around the downtown area. And of course, this is a limited amount of space, and um, the zoning is such that it it keeps other types of de developments out that might lower the overall cost of, of living in that area, and the prices just go up and up and up. And so the, the specific example I've already mentioned is going to be here in Palo Alto, California, which is uh, outside of San Francisco, and this is a huge area that's uh, added, uh, you know, I, I think they've added something like 600 and 
40,000 jobs over some period of time, but they've only added about 100,000 uh, units of housing. And so you can just imagine the prices are just going to go up and up and up. So a few years ago, the city council voted to change the zoning of one section of the city right here. Specifically, this two-acre plot of land. They wanted to change it from low-density housing to higher-density housing so that they could build a 60-unit affordable housing complex for elderly members of the community. Okay, so they changed the zoning. Start building the 60-unit complex. No, the overwhelmingly liberal residents of Palo Alto decided to hold a vote to overturn the decision to revert it back to low-density, single-family housing. Back to yellow. And it passed. So Palo Alto, they couldn't even change a two-acre area to multifamily. Not, it wasn't even multifamily. It was for uh, elderly, an elderly segment of the population. 60-unit elderly um, apartment or assisted living. I'm not sure what it was. But, you know, this is... Um, this is really interesting that um, the citizens of Palo Alto are, are, are that opposed to this type of housing. The interesting thing I see about it is usually you kind of uh, you kind of vote for a city council, and you know they represent you, right? They they do the stuff that the city does, and I guess if they do something wrong, you vote them out. But generally, the idea of representative government is that you you vote for somebody to re represent you, and then uh, and then they and then they do their thing. What's interesting about California, and and I think it's like this in some other places too, especially some of these liberal places that have a real big emphasis on democracy, is that they have city councils and the city councils do all these things, but then they can call like these special elections, and just you know, vote against the city council if they don't like what the city council's doing. You see this from time to time where they have these recall elections. You know, if the governor is doing something they don't like, you know, they they can get 180,000 signatures or something on a petition and and essentially create a special election to, to unseat the governor. So the, the problem, and this is kind of a problem with democracy in general is, is it's, it's very, very difficult to get everybody to agree on one thing. And so, uh, there's some things that just have to be done, um, you know, in a way that benefits the majority of the people. But the, the way you do that in a government is you have some underlying principles like, you know, we're going to respect liberty and we're going to respect property. And, from, from those two principles, we're going to make these decisions for the city. And that's how they do it. But as you know, when, when, when the citizens come in to vote uh, to undermine what the city council did, they're acting out of their own self-interest. I mean, they don't want, in this case, it's some, some elderly people living in the, in the neighborhood. But a lot of times, you know, these, these are multifamily apartment buildings and they're lower income, socioeconomic uh, people. And, um, you know, the thing about it is people, they want their kids to go to school with kids that are like them and all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, especially, you know, if you think about schools, we, we got a screwed up school system too. thing. You know, the, the way we 
zone schools and stuff. And we're going to hear about schools in a second. And Cook County in Chicago has an especially screwed up one. But, you know, this is where the kids learn about drugs. And this is where the kids learn about sex. And and all this, this is one of the problems with public school in general, right? Is you, you can't, you don't have good control over it. And so one of the re- one of the ways people exercise that control over the public school is by managing this this whole property thing, and by uh, eliminating uh, groups that they perceive would undermine you know the school in such a way that they might bring drugs in or they might you know might be sexually promiscuous or or whatever, and so this has kind of been the the orthodoxy for a while. And that's what you see in Palo Alto. And, 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 and it just, it's a mess. It doesn't work. Uh, you know, there's, there's people, there's businesses there that need um, kind of lower income people to do certain jobs. And the people can't live there, so they can't do the jobs. And, and so it, it creates a real distortion in the marketplace. But it's, it's just kind of an interesting study that, um, what I think is interesting and informative about the whole thing is that, you know, liberals profess to be, you know, advocates of equality and all this stuff. And when it comes right down to it, they don't want, they don't want the poor kids going to school with their kids or the kids that might be doing drugs and all this stuff either. I mean, you know, nobody wants that. And so that's, they vote accordingly. If you want to keep Palo Alto, the kind of neighborhood and community that we all treasure, low intensity, low density, safer kids to walk to school, you've got to vote against Measure D. There's a, an aspect of sort of, of greed here and, and of uh, you know, nervousness about actually sharing those opportunities. Yeah, you know, the, the Democrats are greedy too. They don't want to share. Um, you know, I mean, I don't really have anything more to say about this. I mean, it's just when, you're, when your values aren't aligned with, with uh, real solid principles, like your values are, well, I feel like it should be this, or I feel like it should be that. You're going to get all twisted up, and you're you're going to vote for one thing, but then want something different, and and it and it and, it, and you get something like Palo Alto, or you, in San Diego County, they mentioned San Diego County. I mean, it's all over California like this. Housing is just super expensive. Nobody can live there. The only people that can live there are the people that have been living there for thirty years and bought their house when it was $200,000 and now it's worth $8 million. And the thing about it is their taxes are locked in on that $200,000 value. They've got this kind of peculiar uh, taxation system, property tax system that allows them to uh, stay in these ginormous and when they're not even, they're not big, but they're super expensive properties. And, um, and in many cases, my, my property taxes here in in Texas are higher than what people pay for multi-million dollar homes in California. So they got a really messed up kind of system over there. But I just think the whole thing was instructive that Democrats aren't any real, they're not really any different than the rest of us. They, they vote their interest. They're, they're, they're self-interested. They're not altruistic, regardless of what they say about themselves. The Democratic Party talks about taxation, saying that our tax code has been, quote, rigged against the American people. Democrats all the time are decrying the fact that tax cuts are going to the wealthiest Americans. It is time for a wealth tax in 
America. Democrats believe in a progressive tax system where the rich pay a larger share of their income than the poor. This is like the most basic policy vision of like a progressive movement. It's front and center in Democrats' policy platform. Yeah, you know where else it's front and center? In the Communist Manifesto. Karl Marx was a big uh, progressive tax guy. And this is one of the pillars. I think there's seven pillars of the Communist Manifesto. And, uh, but anyway, that aside, yeah, I mean, Democrats are always trying, they're always clamoring for the rich to pay more. Somebody's got to pay more. And it turns out, surprise, surprise, in the states where they have all the power, they actually don't do that. And they use Washington state as an example. And of course, this is where two of the richest guys in America live, uh, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. And I just... Again, I think it's instructive uh, to realize that Democrats, and maybe Republicans are this way too. I'm, I'm kind of picking on Democrats in this episode, but as you know, I'm neither Democrat nor Republican, and I think both parties are screwed up. And I think also both parties are, are not always um, acting in alignment with their values. And so again, this one's about Democrats. So we're going to, we're going to continue the theme with Democrats and we're going to turn to Washington state and inspect the tax code just a little bit. But if you go and look at Washington state, what you find is that in Washington state, if you look at the, the state and local taxes that people pay there, less affluent families pay a much larger share of their income in taxes than the wealthiest residents of Washington state. So people like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, two of the state's most famous and wealthy residents, are in this lovely situation of, of paying less in taxes as a share of their income than, than the poor people who live in that same state. And this is a fundamental inversion of the values that the Democratic Party professes. There is no state with a more regressive system of taxation than Washington state. And I'm talking like the most regressive, meaning Texas, which is like the conservative bastion of like anti-taxes is more progressive than Washington state, liberal Washington state. How is that real? Oh, and guess what? Other states on our map also are in the top 10 of most regressive tax regimes like Nevada and Illinois. First off, when you're, when you're talking about taxes, you have to be very careful that you're defining your terms correctly because uh, people like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, the way they the way they make income is they'll sell some of their stock. Okay, and so let, just let me, let me give you an example. Let's say Jeff Bezos sold a hundred million dollars in stock, and let's say that the capital gains tax. Let's just assume for a second that he has to pay tax on the whole hundred million. Uh, and let's say the capital gains tax is 18%. That means he's going to pay $18 million. And maybe his other income is insignificant. You know, maybe he pays himself uh, a, a $200,000 or $300,000 salary or $500,000 salary even. So he might end up paying an effective tax rate of like 19.5% or something like that. On the other hand, let's say you're a, you, you live in the state and you make $200,000 a year. Well, you might be in the 28% tax bracket. So you're going to pay $56,000 in taxes. Now, Jeff Bezos, he paid a lot more in taxes than you did. He paid north of $18 million. But 
you you only paid fifty six thousand dollars, but as a share of your income, see that's the key term. As a share of your income, you paid more at twenty eight percent than he did at eighteen, and this is where Democrats get twisted around. It's not true that the rich don't pay taxes. That's absolutely false. The rich always and everywhere pay taxes, but they don't earn income the same way you earn income. They, they don't have jobs in the sense. They, have, they own equity. They own assets, and they sell some of those assets to get some income. Now, they may have some share of their income uh, that comes in as is income that they have to pay high taxes on, but there's no avoiding that. And they may have some deductions around, you know, if you got a jet airplane and you're flying around, you can deduct that and you can do some things like that to, to lower your, your effective income rate. But the point is, you know, the, these liberal states, they don't, they don't really believe what they say, or they would, they would figure out a way to extract more income or more tax from Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, and they just flat don't do it. Another major theme in this policy document is education. And the wording in here I find quite interesting. The Democrats say, quote, we must provide world-class education in every zip code to every child because education is a critical public good. They use this word zip code to represent the fact that in America, schools get their funding based on the real estate taxes of the houses within that school district. The more expensive the neighborhood, the more funding goes to the school. Yeah, so this example is really my favorite because the, the liberals are always talking about the school and education as a right, and we need to spend more money on education, K through 12, and and it's one of these things that no matter how much money they spend on it, it just never gets better. And it doesn't get better because it's government. It's government schools. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a whole other discussion. But this example that we're going to look at uh, for education is actually in Chicago, Cook County, Chicago. And what they do in Chicago is, uh, you know, they – they have hundreds of little uh, school districts, and I'll, and I'll let the guy explain, uh, and you'll start to get the picture. But yes, it's true that school districts are funded by real estate taxes, and, and so what they figured out in Chicago is they figured out a scheme to, uh, uh, for the really rich people to get uh, almost like a country club school, and of course the, uh, the poor people, they get, they get nothing. They get junk and they get, uh, you know, really crappy schools with underfunded teachers and no resources and so on and so forth. But again, Cook County is a very liberal place. I mean, if you, if you ever watch a presidential election, that thing is all blue all around Chicago is blue. So this is, this is a perfect example of where, uh, Democrats don't live out their values. They, their values are not aligned with the way they vote. So over here in Illinois, which is like the quintessential liberal state, there's this one county that contains the city of Chicago. It's called Cook County. The residents here voted overwhelmingly for Democratic candidates in the presidential and senatorial elections last year. 
Often what would happen is that this would just be one big school district and that all the taxes from all the towns in this county would be put into one bucket and distributed equally throughout the county. But the residents of this very blue democratic county have actually decided to divide themselves into more than 140 school districts. That is insane. I mean, that is crazy. Talk about gerrymandering. I mean, this is, uh, they have literally gerrymandered the entire city of Chicago around real estate values so that the people that have nice homes can have, can also have very nice schools, very well-funded schools. And those who don't have such nice homes can have crap schools. I mean, that is really something special. Um, Again, not aligned with their values, as they vote, at least. So now you have all these tiny school districts like this one, which are like gerrymandered around the richest part of town. And so all of the taxes from these rich homeowners go into one little bucket and then only get distributed to the schools within this rich region of the county. It can be on the same block that the town line runs through the middle of it. And if you live on one side of that line, you're consigned to an inferior education by virtue of the fact that you and your neighbors don't have as much money. And if you live on the other side, you're basically a member of a club that is sponsoring a private school, essentially, for the benefit of that small group of kids who are lucky enough to live in that affluent community. And the result is that poor communities have less money to educate their children and rich communities have more money to educate their children. Yeah, so in this particular example, you can't even envision a situation where even school vouchers would work, right? Because, um, and I mean, unless the, the well, it doesn't matter. The, the the rich school districts would just never would never allow that. They would they would never allow that because then uh, those people aren't funding um, the school at the same level as the as the more affluent people, but. What a screwed up system they have in Chicago. And, and, you know, and that's why it just churns out drug addicts and gang members like it does. I mean, this is why public school system, we, we just need to get rid of the public schools because they are pre-prisons. I mean, essentially, they're, they're just places for kids to go while their parents work and, um, and get into not learn anything. They're not learning anything in these schools. Uh, but they accept sex and all kinds of weird sex stuff and transgenderism and, you know, whatever, um, gay rights and all kinds of stuff like that. But they're not learning any math. They're not learning any English. And um, it, the whole thing is just a big sink for money. I mean, it's just a big drain, a big disposal that sucks in money and destroys it. This is crazy. It means basically that the kids who have the greatest needs have the fewest resources. It, he's right. It is crazy and it'll never work because it, it's just, it's, it's unworkable. It's an unworkable system the way they've designed it. And, uh, and there's no, I, I guarantee, I mean, I don't live in Chicago, but I guarantee there's no discussion about this in Chicago. Nobody's talking about the actual structural problems with schooling in Chicago. Uh, they're, they're fat, dumb, and happy. They want to keep it the same way. The people that are poor are going to stay poor. The people that are affluent are going to stay affluent. And nothing's ever going to change. And uh, again, if you want something to change or you want something to get better, you got to get rid of the school districts. You got to get rid of public schools and, and bring 
bring schooling, bring education back into the private sector. And that'll fix it. Affluent liberals tend to be really good at showing up to the marches and talking about how they love equality. They're really good at putting signs in their lawn saying that all are welcome here. But by their actions, what they're actually saying is, yes, we believe in these ideals, just not in my backyard. We are not living our values. People who live in blue states, people who profess liberal values, you need to look in the mirror and, and need to understand that they are not taking the actions that are consistent with those values, not just incidentally, not just in small areas, but that some of the most important policy choices. We are denying people the opportunity to prosper and to thrive and to build better lives. And it is happening in places where Democrats control the levers of policy. Yeah, so it's hard to argue with what this guy's talking about, but this is one of the reasons I say that there's really no difference between Republicans and Democrats. The differences are so subtle and so insignificant that uh, we're never going to get uh, change that we can believe in, like Barack Obama told us, or change that, that really would, would make a difference. In other words, you're not going to change this system from within the system. Uh, it's just impossible. Uh, there's going to have to be some sort of parallel institutions. Uh, we're going to have to start. We're going to start really advocating for things like liberty and property, and 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 people are going to have to take control over their own stuff, whether it's educating their kids, providing themselves health care, whatever. I mean, we got to stop looking to these governments to do things because what they do is they rig it in, in a way that serves them. It doesn't serve us. and um, Or it serves those of us that are well-connected. Uh, and and that's, not, uh, that's not a good system to be in. I mean, that's no different than being friends with the king. I mean, we might as well have a king and have people that are friends with the king. So... You know, this was, I think, an interesting exercise. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed listening to it myself. I'm, if you're so inclined, go to the internet and listen to the whole thing. There's a lot more to it. I think the whole thing lasts about 40 minutes. I clipped it up pretty good here so that uh, we could just focus on the the highlights of it, you know, just the, the points that are, that are the most interesting. But... Um, Look, if you like the show, you know, share the show, um, share it with a friend, share it with a family member, uh, help me get it out there, get it to more people. Um, I'm trying to bring something a little different in this program than just, you know, the Republicans are good, Democrats bad, and, you know, just the, the talking head kind of rhetoric that we have in our society that it just really is not productive. And my, my feeling is, is that we can, we can start to think about some of these problems in a different way, in a more principled way that's aligned with uh, the founding um, principles of the country and, and the principles that have, that have really uh, allowed Western civilization to uh, thrive and prosper. So if you, if you like that kind of content, if you think that's the kind of content we need to be discussing, then share the show by all means, and let's get more of it out there. I think people aren't living their values. <laughs> <laughs>